Yeah, I remember one uh, commute I had. I, w- I was living, I think I was still living with my parents in, uh, in Bridgewater, New Jersey. But I had a car, so I would drive into New York to work in New York City. But the way I would do it is I would um, drive to Jersey City and park at a Journal Square. There's a parking deck there. Then I would take the PATH train from there, probably over to, I'm trying to think where I would take it to, probably over to the World Trade Center, and then take a subway from there. I'm trying to remember where I was working at that point. See, that was a long time ago. It, I probably would. Otherwise, there, yeah, you could take the other, the uh, the 33rd Street path train, and it does stop at, like, Christopher Street and then West 4th Street. So if I if I was probably working on Varick Street at that point in the printing industry, maybe I took that one. But I just remember that I would, uh, you know, like, first of all, that Journal Square complex is really quite remarkable. It's sort of like... Uh, Brutalist architecture, you know, the big concrete blocks, brutalism, the architectural style. And uh, when you go down to the station, it's sort of like, uh, uh, it's almost like you're in a cave. Like the walls are uh, like stone, just cut out of like a, out of the mountain or whatever. And uh, it's open on, on both sides. But not only that, it is very bizarre. Uh, there's also this freight train line that goes through there as well. What the hell? So sometimes you're waiting for your morning train to go into New York, and there's this huge freight train going by. Very, very weird place. Um, but I remember, like, uh, really sort of struggling to figure out how to drive there because I would always get lost. Of course, this was this would have been back in the early '90s, I would say. Um, so when you're when you're driving you have to sort of look at look at actually maps like there was no websites or there was actually there was no internet back then you know weird to think like 90 91 92 whatever time period that was because i do think around yeah around 93 i moved down uh into my own apartment that was in uh, island. so this, this would have been before that so right you had to kind of like have maps you had to look at maps and figure out how to get somewhere or just drive around and try to Ooh, should I turn here or not? You know, follow signs. You know, hopefully the signs are correct. But there's a whole thing where, um, like, you can get really lost there in Jersey City. I remember I, I I I could get there no problem, but getting home I always had this problem. I'm like I couldn't find the right road home, and I wound up getting super lost all the time. And uh, then I found I think I found one I found the trick to get onto the uh, Pulaski Skyway right. This thing called the Pulaski Skyway, and once you're on there, you're set. It's an because e- I, I I was uh, going from there, then down Route 22, right? I think the Pulaski Skyway is is part of one nine. In fact, not too too long ago, earlier this year, I think I decided to. I was down in Edison, and I decided to uh, go home on uh, on one nine. One nine is another one of these highways where you know the two highways merge and they just keep their names. You know, like you'd think. Like when, uh, you know, like, uh, was it Route 3 and 40? No, it's, no, 3, it just branches off. But, yeah, but essentially, like, 3, if, if you look at the map, like, right by me, there's Route 3 and there's Route 46, and then they merge together going west, and then it's just Route 46. Route 3 is done. It's the end of Route 3. But, like, with, with 1 and 9, right, it's, this, it's uh, the same road, and then you get down by Woodbridge, and it splits into two roads. So I wonder if the reason they did that is because then 
going north, it eventually splits back into two more. I think that's got to be why they do it. But then they, they also have that in New Jersey, uh, route, route 202 and 206. So there's a hot whole section you have to drive on, 202, 206. I have to look at the map. If, if there's really any need, I, I guess they might untangle again, you know, and go their own way eventually. <coughs> anyway, yeah, I just remember going on the Pulaski Skyway. Um, you might recognize that name if you're a Twin Peaks fan. Remember one of uh, Bob's victims was named Ronette Pulaski. I wonder if that was inspired by the Pulaski Skyway. I don't know. Anyway, um, one, I was so happy because I, I, I can remember it would be like real late at night or maybe just it was during the winter when it was it gets dark early, but I remember yeah, there's this one intersection and there's a left turn that looks like it kind of doesn't go anywhere, but it if you turn this is this is a vague memory um, um it does it doesn't look like a good place to turn but it, but I found out if you turn there then there's this soon there'll be this on ramp onto the Pulaski Skyway, which I guess what I would take south from there to get to route twenty two and I remember this this is my favorite part of this commute is that I would actually sometimes stop at Bowcraft on the way home. Now, Bowcraft was this amusement park in Scotch Plains, I believe, New Jersey, uh, or in that area. And it was on just on this highway, Route 22, and it was this uh, amusement park. They had a Ferris wheel, which unfortunately someone... I, I was there the day someone fell off and died from that Ferris wheel. It was a pretty... pretty... Uh, <laughs> negative stuff, but... Uh, they also had like uh, I don't know, like you know like those little cars little kids can drive. What's what's that all about? They had it at Disney World too. It's like it's like little cars, but kids can drive these cars because they're on a rail or something. Uh, they had like a train ride and <coughs> I don't know. They had all sorts of things there. Um, but the main thing I didn't really care to go on the rides. They had miniature golf and stuff. It was a whole thing. Uh, they all but um, uh, they had a they had a really good arcade, and in fact, video game and pinball arcade, and and in fact, at one point they had, uh, you there was like a main building, and then they had a whole basement filled with more games, and then they had a tent outside filled with more games. And there was one incident, and I'm trying to remember what it was because I remember playing, I remember playing uh, Time Pilot '84 there, the sequel to Time Pilot. That's a good game, but they also had Cubert, and one time I was the, I I got pretty good at Cubert, and. Uh, the video game, and um, they must have had it set on a low difficulty, so I could pretty much, it was the only video game ever that I could kind of keep playing forever. Like You know how people are that good at a video game? But again, they probably had the dip switches set at like the kitty level or something, so I could keep keep going, but like, so I remember it was closing, and the guy's like, okay everyone, last game, last game, and I was playing Cubert, and I could just like keep playing. And like twenty minutes later, it was like past closing time. The guy's like, "I, I thought I told you last game." I'm like, I, "I'm still playing the same game. See how he, see how high my score is." He's like, "Oh, okay." He was pretty nice about it, as I recall. But you know, he's like, "You know, I understand it, it was closing soon, so you want to just finish up." You know, <laughs> that was a great video game triumph. Um, but yeah, I I remember specifically with the um, with this commute, I would uh, sometimes stop there and and play pinball. So you went in the main building. What else did I remember? I remember playing Clax. They remember Clax. Clax was a, a game from Atari that was kind of their attempt to do some sort of something kind of like uh, Tetris. But Clax never really caught on that much. It's like these tiles are coming down, and you have to stack them up, and three in a row it disappears, kind of thing. You know, Clax Wave. And I also had it on the the Lynx. It's a good game, but it's not a great game. I remember playing Clax there. 
Um, but in the basement, they had pinball, and especially this was a time when they had um, Funhouse Pinball, right? With Rudy the Puppet Head. And uh, I loved playing Funhouse. I would just go, I would, like, on the, my way home from work, I would stop at Bowcraft and go in the basement and play pinball. It was awesome. And then continue on my way down Route 22 and go home. That was, that was one really amazing old commute. You know, old commutes are like, uh, have become like legendary in my mind. Sad to say, Bowcraft shut down a few years ago, and now it's a huge apartment complex kind of thing. It's so sad. I, I've, every time I drive down Route 22, I see them building this thing. I think it's almost done now. Um, I forget exactly what it's called, but it's a you know you can live there on the former the site of the former Bowcraft. Very very sad. But they do that a lot. Like there was uh, Palisades Park, which was before my time, in Riverside, Englewood, one of those Englewood Cliffs, one of those sit towns in New New Jersey, and now it's condos or apartment buildings, turning amusement parks into a, <laughs> turning amusement parks. Parks into apartment buildings. Oh my god. Can we do the other way? Can we turn apartment buildings into amusement parks? Now come on. That'd be good. Ugh. But I, I just still remember that. I remember that. It's just it's such a wonderful memory. It was a bit indulgent, you know, just stopping by, spending money playing uh, playing uh, pinball, but it was it was so great. It, it, it left a strong impression. And I think probably my favorite commute of all time was uh, at a time, late 90s. It was the late 1990s. It was sort of like in 99, 2000 kind of thing, 2001. I think it was that kind of time period. Um, And again, to drive to a parking lot, uh, this was the light rail system, the Hudson Bergen light rail system in Jersey City. Again, again, Jersey City is involved because it's so close to New York. Um... So, yeah, so they, they just opened the light rail. So uh, Liberty State Park had uh, had a stop, which was actually near the Liberty Science Center, and they built this huge parking lot for the commuters to park so they can take the, you know, theoretically you can park there and then take the train, the light rail up. There's m- multiple ways of getting to New York City. You can stop by for the PATH train, multiple places. You can go up to Hoboken, or you can uh, take the uh, the ferry boats across, you know, and those ferry boats that uh, that went across New York Waterway is what it's called. Um, back then, um, you know, going from the you know across the Hudson River from New Jersey to New York City, usually uh, you know pretty much going down by um, the World Financial Center. That's what they used to call it. I know it has a different name now. It's called Brookfield Center or something. It used to be cheap. It used to be locked to the price of the path, so it was like a dollar, dollar twenty-five, dollar fifty back in the day. Now you try to do it. It's a five-minute ride. It's going to cost you like $9 each way. What a rip. What a ripoff. On the other side of Manhattan, there's a whole other ferry boat company, and that has their fares tied to the subway fare, which last I recall, 275 a trip, but I have no idea if they raised it since then. I haven't kept track of that sort of thing. Now, now you just use your credit card when you go on the subway. You just tap your credit card, you're in. You don't need any – no more subway cards needed, even though – they do have a subway card. They have a thing called the Omni card, which is replacing the uh, Metro card. Uh, yeah, because you need you need to have some way of people paying cash to to kind of get in the subway, right? That's not everyone has a credit card, so you know. I think the Omni card is the new thing. The thing about those Metro cards, which is what sort of took over from tokens, they should probably just bring tokens back. That was easy, but you had to slide your 
you had to slide your card through this little card reader. Now you know a lot of a lot of municipal systems that have cards, you s- slide it in and it sucks it in and then it shoots it back out again, right? In this case, um, someone had to slide. You, you sort of insert it into this slot and you sort of slide it yourself. But if you slide it too fast or too slow, it doesn't work. And it was always a problem. I mean, if you were used to it, you got the rhythm of that, that you could get it to be the right speed. But so many people that were – there's a lot of tourists in New York City, obviously, that aren't familiar with the system. And uh, I would see people, like, doing it too slow, doing it too fast, and everyone around, no, do it faster, do it slower, like, yelling at them, trying to help them. I'm assuming the Omni cards are just, like, a, a tap. You know, it's, like, probably an RFID chip in there, you know. You probably just tap it or something. I don't know. <coughs> I wonder if they got rid of those metro the metro card system yet. I know I know that's sort of on <coughs> the next thing for the subway system. Get rid of the metro cards, yeah. <coughs> um, but anyway, um, so the the ferry boat was not that expensive back then. So they built this parking lot right next to uh, the Liberty State Park light rail stop, right and. For the first year, they it was free. They wanted to promote it. They wanted people to get familiar with it. So for the first year, you didn't have to pay to park at this parking lot. And I took advantage of it so much. Um, I would drive over there. I think when I was living here in Nutley, even right? It was yeah, yeah. I was I was living in Nutley. It was uh, yeah. I was already like married and living in living in Nutley here. And I would drive my jeep. I would drive my jeep down to uh, that that parking lot. I remember one time going back because it's on. Uh, you, have to, you have to take kind of like the uh, the Turnpike extension there, the 14 extension, and um, I remember. Yeah, one of the like so one of the vice presidents was in town, and it like there was this mass traffic jam. The traffic was just stopped for like an hour. You're, everyone was complete. Everyone was getting out of their cars and everything. It was because who would be the vice president? I think it was it was it vice president. Uh, who was the vice president in ninety? Say like ninety nine. That would have been uh, <laughs> that would have been Gore, right? <laughs> yeah, it's Gore, right? President, yeah, because because yes, Bill Clinton took over in ninety three, and then he he was there for eight years, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, so then in uh, yeah, then he was out in two thousand one. Yeah, yeah. So it would have been Gore. So Al Gore, Vice President Al Al Gore was in town so of course they had to shut down all of the roads and have everyone be be stranded that's ridiculous just because he wants to go somewhere these people over here have helicopters jesus i remember that but anyway you would park there and get get on the light rail and i would take it up to harborside center and i I loved getting off on the one side of harborside walking through harborside and then uh, getting the the ferry boat that from there over to uh, world financial and from there, I would, I would, um, I would go and uh, go to the uh, the Mercantile Exchange and get some coffee, right? And then I would, uh, it's like some espresso. Then I would walk over into the World Financial Center, and uh, and then you know cro- into that beautiful Winter Garden, and cross over the bridge to the World Trade Center, the Twin Towers. So it was still standing at that point. And uh, then I would uh, get onto the uh, subway. Usually, I think I would take the end with the end of the R. Depending on where I was working at the time. Um, at that point, yeah, I think I was working at Scholastic Books at that point, right? I think. I'll take the end of the R from there up up to Scholastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
around that time. Yes, I definitely was working at Scholastic at some point around then. I think around 2000-ish. Yeah. Anyway, it was a great what a great commute! What a beautiful commute! And, some, and, I, and I, you know, at, at that point, I would have to do the reverse commute: take go take the subway down to World Trade Center, walk over to um, World Financial, take the ferry. But it was just beautiful, beautiful ride, and um, I'll always remember that. And of course, in two thousand one, I was still doing this commute. I didn't do it every single day, but I, I, I loved doing it, and. Um, Yeah, because it was it, this was right before uh, September eleventh, two thousand one. That incident where the World Trade Center got blown up, the Twin Towers got blown up. It was a whole thing. You may be familiar with it or not. If you're in the far future, look, look up. It's colloquially known as nine eleven nine slash eleven. Just look it up on on, on your uh, whatever data systems you have in the future. It happened in uh, New York City, and then also in there was an aspect of it in. Washington D.C. and also in a field in Pennsylvania. Uh, look, look up like incident that occurred on September 11th, 2001. You may get some information about it. I know it seems like every, everyone knows about it, but there's a heck of a lot of people now. They, they're even people that are technically adults that were born after that happened. So I'm sure if you're in the year 5,000, you may not instantly know what the heck I'm talking about. Um. So, yeah, I mean, at that point, like, my wife worked at a, a doctor's office at that point, and uh, she worked part-time, so um, I'm trying to think. This is kind of, yeah, so I think this was after it was free, right? So I didn't want to park there and pay. But I would take the train over to Hoboken and then take do the, do a similar trip to take the ferry boat over there. When my wife was working, I would I would do the uh, she would drop me off at the Passaic train station and I would go in that way. It was a very similar commute. It was probably in uh, memory of the previous commute where I would park there. Yeah. But if she wasn't working, I, w- I would take the bus in. You know, like I normally do. Even when I do work, I when I <laughs> do work in the city, I do take the bus in. Um, so what happened was um, I got my coffee at the World Finan- uh, at the Mercantile Exchange and then uh, I, I walked up through the Winter Garden and this is actually a story I told like on the Overnight Escape number 8 back in 2003 uh, this guy Joe I used to work with I met him at the revolving doors onto the uh, – I was approaching the the bridge that crosses over to the World Trade Center. And I met him there. I'm like, oh, hey. Hey, Joe. How's it going? Interesting. I guess he was working at the American Express building. Hey, good to see you. <laughs> and then literally exactly a week later, at the same exact moment, at the same, ex- the same exact uh, revolving door, again, we both met each other, right? I'm like, hey, this is weird. We have to stop meeting this way, you know. And then the third week, I was getting, I was like, there's something weird going on. There's some weird energy in the air. I don't know what the hell's going on. This was actually in August of 2001. I approached the revolving door and I was so like freaked out. I spilled um, espresso all over my shirt. And I remember, I'm like, I can't go to work like this. So I remember going over to the World Trade Center and going to the Warner Brothers store and buying. uh, a Harry Potter Gryffindor 
shirt to replace my destroyed shirt. But anyway, it was a few weeks later that literally that same spot where we all these things happened, um, that part of the World Financial Center actually got damaged from debris from the falling World Trade Center towers. I think debris rained down on that exact spot. So it was kind of like my... It did seem that it, my conclusion was that that, that um, the reverberations of the event, um, the shockwave uh, hit back in time as well as forward in time, right? So I was being hit by some, some of the shockwaves of the event that was to come in a few weeks. Uh, by, it was creating these weird coincidences and synchronicities and things. Yeah. <clears throat> and I really, you know... Uh, you know when that all happened. Obviously, I was—I really missed the uh, the old commute, and it was many years before <coughs> all that stuff was opened up again. Now it's all back open, basically. But it was many years before I could do a commute like that again, because it was all got blown to hell, essentially. You know what I'm saying? But the same thing happened back in '93. They someone tried to blow up the World Trade Center by setting off a bomb in a van in the basement parking garage. It did not succeed, though. In bringing down the buildings, but it did uh, cause a lot of trouble. And I remember then also being very upset because I, I used to love commuting through the World Trade Center even back then. You know, even if it was just, uh, at that point, it was probably uh, taking the train uh, from my parents' house, probably down Somerville or Bound Brook, and then you, 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 they're diesel trains, so they had to stop. They couldn't go in the tunnel to New York City. They had to stop. You had to switch. So I would usually switch to the path and then go to World Trade Center on the path train there and then, you know, get some kind of subway. So the World Trade Center before all that in 93, for example, was a big place I loved. I would go through so much. I was almost overly familiar with the place. I had been going through there since college. And um, I was really upset when it was all closed, you know, for a while. The first time they tried to blow it up. So I remember when I finally got back, it was like, that's the first thing they do when someplace gets blown up. They take out all the garbage cans. So there's no place to put garbage because I guess they figure someone's going to chuck a bomb in the garbage can. Then at one point they had clear garbage cans. So if there was a bomb in there, you could kind of see it. But how does that work? Someone would just put it in a, in, a, in a shopping bag or something. You know what I mean? Ruin it for everyone, please. It's just that the uh, uh you get to you get to have a, a real relationship with a place uh, 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 in this case it was like a shopping mall i mean the world trade center was like a shopping mall with various uh, train stations and subway stations and things but it's a, it's a place i got to have such a sort of a strong affinity for and a strong relationship with um and i really i really do miss it as a place even though at the time i think i had gotten so over familiar with it i was almost tired of the place but it's a, it was some place that was very important to me. And, uh, you know, it's back to being a, a mall now, so, in a way. Um, but the mall is a bit different now, because the first mall was built with dark brown, you know, shades of brown in the tiles, and architectural philosophies of, you know, things being populist, like being for the people, comfortable spaces. Now it's all chrome and gray marble and... All the stores are for millionaires. It's really not that fun. 
I mean, I, there are some stores regular people can shop at, but it's just it's not the same. It has a it's a cool it's a cool scene in there that whole Oculus thing they built, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but I do miss I do miss those old commutes definitely. It's the next morning now. Had to run outside and move the cars so the lawnmowers could get through the lawn our lawn care. Guys, I wasn't quite ready. I didn't take a shower yet today. I'm not dressed in proper clothes, but I went out and did it anyway. I had so many interesting dreams last night, and I, and I struggled to remember them when I woke up, but they just all slipped away. It was something about the series of like events or challenges that we were setting up for other people or something, but yeah, it all slipped away, unfortunately. But I remember that I forgot, <laughs> yes. So you know that really cool little uh, retro gaming device I got and described on last issue, the Anbernic 35XX? In all the forums, they're like, listen, it's a great device, but the SD card it comes with is a piece of crap. You got to get a new card, and you got to get better games on there. You can do it yourself, or you can just buy it off, off the Internet. And uh, as I've gone down that road so many times of setting these devices up, which is, remember I was uh, sort of debating to get the simple device or the more complicated device, but... The simple device had so few games compared to the more complicated. I I I, I got to get this one, and it's a great device. I mean, I was um, I was playing Ridge Racer Type Four on it before it crashed out. Uh, loved that game, and I have this sort of favorite memory of uh, getting home in the morning from my uh, you know in the summer of two thousand nine. I was on WFMU overnight. Uh, when I got home, I would uh, to wind down. I would play. Ridge Racer 4 on, uh, on, the, on the PlayStation emulator on my uh, Dreamcast and listen to uh, what was that show Shut Up Weirdo I used to listen to also from FMU it's a great game, it has a great soundtrack and I was playing it on little handheld and it was just really an amazing moment so I went to plug it in and it's when it, it charging is weird, it can't do a smart charger you have to use a dumb charger for it Anyway, the screen went blank, and uh, yeah, it it would boot up, and you'd see the loading screen, but then it just went bl- blank, and they're like, yeah, when that happens, you have to flash the ROM again. I'm like, do I really want... So I had already ordered that extra card, and it should be coming today. So in theory, I should be able to pop in that new card, and it should all work, and it'll be much better. Or maybe it'll continue to not work. And then they also said that if it continues to not work, you have to un- you have to open it up and un- disattach the battery. It's not like a removable battery because there's some sort of flaw in the operating system. So I actually bought the uh, little screwdriver so you can open up the back. Listen, this is this thing is becoming more trouble than it's worth. Okay, <laughs> with this black screen of death. Oh my god! But it's a cool device, though. Hopefully today it'll it'll all be resolved. Who knows? One little chip could solve the whole thing. Yes, indeed. 
So here is uh, some news. New York's iconic Sleep No More will close in January. The show has been Im- an immersive sensation since 2011. So you may remember this. This is a. It's so weird because you you don't really hear about this too much. They never advertise. It's only by word of mouth. Um, there was a time on this show where I talked about it a lot because Jeff from Houston, the host of The Meandering Mouse, huge fan of this uh, of this uh, this experience, and I went several times. I think I went at least three times, actually, three or four times to sleep no more. Uh, it's over uh, yeah West Twenty Seventh Street and. Uh, so it's basically this enormous interior world of kind of like a haunted hotel in the 1920s. And you can wander around as much as you like, and you have to wear these these masks. And uh, you can just sort of witness what's going on. And uh, I really wanted to go back at least once more, so I'm going to really try to go back at least once more. I mean, I knew it was going to close eventually. I mean, they survived during COVID and everything. It's wild. Um, what a cool, cool experience. Uh, I know I'm not describing it properly, but look look it up. If if you're in the New York area, you really should check out Sleep No More before it uh, before it ends. Yeah, yeah. There's even a show art of us inside. We we went to the Halloween party there as well. Yeah. Anyway, you get what I'm talking about. Yeah. Anyway. Um. Interesting turn of events here from the Nash the Slash movie. Remember, remember that whole thing, Nash the Slash, the movie? Um, hold on, let me find it here. Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, it was on Indiegogo, the fundraising site. And it was for uh, a movie about Nash the Slash called And You Thought You Were Normal, right? And uh, let's see if I can get it here. Yeah. The leaf blowers. See, this is my doing. All this noise pollution in the morning is because of my house this time. Yeah, I talked about this on the Nash episode a week or two back. (laughs) What is going on here? Yeah, so this Nash the Slash, a musician from Canada, from Toronto, who wears kind of, you know, bandages on his face and a a white top hat and goggles. It's a very distinctive look. And um, this is, uh, their last update was in November of 2021. So almost, November 12, 2021, is almost two years ago, right? So people have been getting kind of upset that they think this whole project, because they raised for like $40,000. I know that's not a lot to make a movie, but, you know, $39,000. Um, and this, some people were asking for an update. How about showing a little class and giving us an update, or shall we assume the worst? An update would be appreciated. Then I wrote, 25 days ago, I wrote this. I talked about it on this show. I'm wearing my Nash to Slash shirt today, which I think I got from this campaign way back when. I got on the topic of Nash on my show today, and I was checking to see if the movie was ever made, but it looks like it's in limbo still. Also, most of the albums are gone from the streaming services. What happened? Nash deserves better for his legacy. So, this happens a lot. You know, Kickstarters or Indiegogos, what have you. They they raise the money, and then they just, you know, never produce what they say they're going to produce. 
Uh, but that goes with the territory. My favorite one is Anna Music 3, which I did not contribute to, but... Um, let's see. This one, this is, this one uh, raised uh, $223,000 in 2015. No, not even. It was like before that. Yeah, it. When when did it start? It's like this, really, twenty fourteen maybe, twenty thirteen, twenty twelve. Yeah, it was funded in twenty twelve, right? <laughs> but the comment section, there's over a thousand comments. I wonder if people are still people are still angry about this. Yeah, there was like this guy in here that claimed that he uh, he was trying to like get this guy arrested and stuff. <laughs> It happens, listen. Yeah, this guy, Daniel E. Gray. Yeah. He, he, I guess he, he filed a lawsuit against him in some state that, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it, listen, it happens. But, interestingly, there was an email uh, about this uh, about this movie now. Somehow I got this email, I, I guess... Let me see if I can find it. From Colin Brunton. Nash the Slash Rises Again update. So I guess they changed the name of the movie from And You Thought You Were Normal to Nash the Slash Rises Again. Dear Nash the Slash Rises Again, crowdfunders, friends, and supporters, we're writing to give you an update on the film and thanks and to thank all of you again. This project could not have happened without your support and we're extremely grateful. Please note that all further updates will be posted on our Facebook and Instagram pages. So I guess they must have lost access to the Indiegogo. Maybe they maybe they lost the login or something. So they have a, a Facebook page, Nash the Slash Doc. Um, let's see. Here's what we've been up to lately. So they're actually still working on this. I, I really would have really would have thought that this was a dead project, you know. Editor and co-director Kevin Byrne continues to tweak the fine cut, and we will have picture lock by January. Motion graphics designer Marlon McLean is performing some visual magic. Music supervisor Natasha Dupree is closing in on some very obscure non-slash pieces of music for a couple of scenes. Executive producer Colin Brunton, producer Leanne Davies, and producer and co-director Tim Kowalski are starting to work on the marketing plan and consulting with a digital marketing a uh, company. Sound designer Jacob Thiessen and sound mixer Daniel Pellerin have come on board. Toronto po post-production house Red Lab have generously offered their services to help deliver the final product and Nash to Slash rises again. Will be completed in 2024. I wonder, will I still get like my free copy of this movie because I contributed like w years ago? I don't know. <laughs> they have some pictures of I guess they. This is from the 2021 shoot with actor Nathaniel Chadwick as Nash. So they have someone playing Nash to Slash. I thought it was a documentary, but now there's someone playing him. Well, it's easy to play him in a way because you said put on the bandages. No one even knows what he looks like. I mean, obviously, there's that uh, the TV appearance with FM, the band he was in, where he's appears without bandages, but he's still wearing sunglasses and a hat and stuff. So you can kind of see what he looks like. 
Yeah. Wow. I guess it's going to happen. It's actually going to happen. Great. I know most of you listening have never heard of Nash the Slash, but anyway. Anyway, I'm I'm glad it's still going in some way. It's just getting so complicated, you know. You've noticed how things get complicated? Like, listen, we're just going to make a movie, and now it's been years, and all this complicated. Oh, I just want to play some video games. Oh, I got a black screen of Dad. Why is it the simplest things turn complex when you're trying to do them? I don't know. Anyway, uh, today's episode is called Why Leave Valley Fair? <laughs> Look at this artwork. I love this. Uh, yeah, this is uh, a show art that is uh, sort of a the third in a series over time. So the first episode with Valley Fair was... Um, the Overnightscape 1288 back on May 24th, 2016. Long time ago now. And uh, I think it had to do with, there was this, uh, at my bus stop going to work, talking about commutes, there was this one bus that wasn't my bus that would stop there, and it was going to Valley Fair. And it sort of felt like this sort of mythical place, almost like, uh, remember there was that Twilight Zone, a stop at Willoughby, you know? Like, let's go to Valley Fair. It sounds like this sort of artificial utopia kind of place. I think I did research it. I think it turned out that it was, it used to be this, like, huge convenience store or variety store or something somewhere in Newark, New Jersey or something. So the artwork was a little, um, a little uh, doodle I did, and then I sort of superimposed that font, I believe it's Quentin. You may know it as the Dungeons & Dragons font on there. Um, I thought that was a pretty good artwork. And then back on uh, the Overnight Escape 1787, far from Valley Fair, uh, back in, uh, uh, it's on March 5th, 2021, I took that art and I kind of cleaned it up, adapted it, and added some color to it. And... Uh, What was this? What did I talk about on this show? All sorts of things. But anyway, um, I saw that artwork uh, just the other day, and I'm like, you know, I should do something with that. Maybe I'll revise it and make this the next uh, the next episode. So, what should I call it instead of Far from Valley Fair? How about Why Leave Valley Fair? Right? And I changed the color scheme, which is it, the color scheme is very specific. Um. So, why leave Valley Fair? It's kind of a uh, sort of open to interpretation. Um, if you if there's some kind of a, what would you say? This place that seems good, but you 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 know there's more out there. Why leave Valley Fair? Do you want to stay in the comfortable? known thing, or do you want to strike out into the unknown? Sort of what that means. And uh, the little code in the lower right, which also was in the previous one, 4142256, is uh, <clears throat> a base, uh, base, base 36. You know, base 36. Now, base thir if you do it like a base 36 to base 10 encoder, right? Convert base 36 to base 10. 
So if I type in 414-212-56, oh no, I'm sorry, <laughs> I have to do, strike that, reverse it. I need base 10 to base 36, I'm sorry. Base 10 to base 36, okay. Yeah. You know these bases, it's like, yes, here we go. It's, uh, you know, like the binary is base 2, you know. So base t in base 10, 4142256, and then in base 36, it spells out ONSUG, O-N-S-U-G, the name of this project. Yay. Very simple. The base 10 to base 36 code. Yeah. But if you didn't know, it would just seem like a random number, you know. But it spells out ONSUG in that very special way. Do other people do other people do that? Use base thirty six code, or the base ten equivalent of base thirty six code to write things out. I'm sure they do. Someone must. I know I do. Anyway, um, and the color scheme I chose with that sort of yellow ochre butterscotch background, kind of a violet or purple um, pylon there, and then the little blue green uh, circle. Um, this uh, is a color scheme I've been experimenting with for um, the show art, right? For the for the new, sorry, for the new book cover for Onsug Radio. As you know, I'm really looking to get the book out sooner than later. I've been working on it now. The new print edition of the book. It may not come out this month. I would like it to. I'm really looking at the 19th, which is nine days from now, which would be exactly 24 years from the founding of this project. As uh, <clears throat> the original declaration of uh, bluffcosm.com on November 19th, 1999. The last odd day, by the way. The last day that all of the digits in the year will be odd until January 1st, 3111. Which, I don't know, if, will we still be here at 3111? We may not, but this project should still be here. And the people will be listening. Uh, mark your calendars, folks. If you're like in the year 3110, January 1st. 3111 is the next, it's called the next odd day. <laughs> is that a long time from now, the year 3000? Yeah, it is. It's a couple thousand years from now. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Right, because, uh, you know, zero is not odd, and it may not be even either, but, right. So, but anyway, if you, if you work it out, you'll see what I'm saying. The next odd day, January 1st, 3111. That's that's a great Hansug holiday for those of you that may exist in that time. Do I exist in that time? Have I been like reincarnated or something? Who knows? But they say the past, present, and future all coexist. So like it's here now. Thirty one eleven is here and now, but not in an obvious way. So anyway, um, yeah, it was playing around with can I find it here hold on a second colors so last uh, my last uh, version of the book cover work in progress had kind of a, um, a kind of an off-white background the color of moonlight right and I, th I kind of like that but when I initially introduced it, there was a darker yellow color in there, and um, so recently I've been playing around, and I found this color. I just randomly chose sort of a 
you know, you can call it ochre, yellow ochre, butterscotch, whatever you want to call that color. So it's my favorite color, in fact. And I came upon one that I really like. So I looked it up online, and there's a site called colorbase.app that has names for these colors. And this one was called Galliano, which instantly struck me because there's that band Galliano that I started uh, getting into fairly recently because of that. What, what, what was that quote on YouTube? Uh, it was at the Glastonbury Festival. <clears throat> Hold on. Uh, let me see if I can find it. It's just a little sound clip I've played on the other side so many times. Yeah, here it is. Mark Kermode and Katie Puckerick at Glastonbury 1994. So I just love this. It's a real short clip. It's like a few it's like 36 seconds long, but I've always loved this one. No, now we have to watch an ad before we can hear the get out of here with these ads. Oh my god. Galliano a little bit earlier in the festival, complete with Pet Dragon weaving its way through the crowd. Now, the Glastonbury hairdo has to be long matted dreadlocks, but Mark here is sporting a different option. This We're talking the molded plastic this is the hair. Practical, the practical it option. It is the practical option. Now, Mark, I understood that you weren't coming to the festival this year. What well, gives? Last year I said, why would you go to a festival if you could stay at home and watch a cinema? Well, the point is this year, Portishead, they made a film, they sent the film to the festival, then they came to the festival to watch the film they made festival. If you could stay at home and watch a cinema, well, the point is what happened? Like skipped. What is what is this uh, movie that that Portishead made? I never really looked that up. Uh, Portishead was a band that had this one album that everyone had back in the day, and I don't know. I don't know if it's, if their music's really aged well, but let's see the Portishead movie. But yeah, Galliano. I started listening to Galliano. It's not bad. Portishead, the movie. Hmm. Uh, huh. let me just see. They made a movie. I, I I can't find anything about this. <laughs> they made a movie. Anyway, I don't know. But, you know, their big song is, what, Sour Times? I remember I first heard it on one of those, like, music compilation CDs, uh, maybe CMJ. Is this, is this, is this, the, this the one? Yeah. This is a really good song. And I don't know if, yeah, I don't know what happened to Portishead. <laughs> Look, there's a video. Portishead, whatever happened to the band, but Portishead. I don't know what happened to them. But this was a good video. There's a music video for it. Wow. I think this may have been like the first single was just like the best thing they ever did. It was all downhill after that. Is that kind of how it works? You get the idea. But they made a movie. What movie did they make? Anyway, yeah, Galliano's not a bad, not bad. I was listening to them a little bit, but I kind of lost interest. But anyway, the color's called Galliano, so I thought that was really interesting. And and then um, I was looking for like complementary colors. So on this website, they do have the complementary colors, which are those colors I described—the sort of the violet and the teal. Is that a teal? So if we look at if we look at this right, 
they call this the um, the triadic colors, 120 degrees apart from each other. So you have the uh, the green, which is uh, called Caribbean green, right? Which is what that little circle is on the show art, right? And then we have the purplish color, which is called electric violet. Yes, and that's the purple color of the pylon, right? The pylon, yeah. So <clears throat> you may have seen, though probably not, I played with these colors, and when I put out the um, the most recent version of the book, you know, every month I update the book, and um, I used a version that had this, that kind of ochre and violet thing going on, and I was really on the fence about it, but I, I did feel like this project where this book is meant to be something that keeps going for thousands of years, not too ambitious, right? Um, it does have to have something of a visually interesting uh, cover, right? It has to, something about the cover of the book has to be sort of this, the first point of contact people will have with this project, even in the year 3111. So it has to be something a little bit distinctive. And even though the purple and ochre, or the violet and ochre, could seem a little bit dissonant or ugly in, at some level, um, Oh, okay, sorry. Um, I just want to look at the... Yeah, uh, I felt like it was sort of important. So after that, I kind of um, revisited it and decided to uh, limit the um, the violet color to the, uh, the image on the bottom, the image of the city. <laughs> Valparaiso, Chile, actually. It's the image I've used on every version of the book. A public domain image from uh, National Oceanographic, whatever. The U.S. government, so it's public domain. Uh, so I um, used the moonlight color for the type elements of the logo and the old Onsug logo. The rest of it with that ochre, you know, the black elements, and then um, the purple there. And this actually, I think, is a little better looking, and uh, but it still retains that mysterious quality. And memorable quality. So uh, I'm looking at it right now. The new book. Could this be the actual? I think this is going to be the book cover because I'm at the point where I just got to get this project done, you know. And uh, I really do like this, though. I do think it it has a very unique look, and it looks better than that previous cover. So anyway, today's show art <laughs> uses those. As I don't, I didn't use the, the Caribbean green in the book cover. Is there any? Let me see. Is there any place I could possibly use it? I don't think so. I don't know about. I don't know if I could possibly use the. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's no place for the the green on the cover, but anyway, I like the way it looks. And uh, one second here. Sorry, what's going on? Yeah. So it was all about that, but I really love the way how this show art looks. Why leave Valley Fair? Why indeed? But that's not all to, all to the story. There's another aspect here. As I was uh, really kind of, um, what would you say, on the fence about should I use this violet color or not, right? And um, so it was yesterday, I think, or the day before. I uh, 
I was looking for some music to listen to, and I decided to do a search on uh, Prague Archives, which is a website about all progressive rock music, which to me is a genre that um, has such untold treasures yet to discover every time I go on a, a deep dive into the site, which can link you to so many different albums, I find something great and new. And uh, I figured I wanted to... I'm still sort of obsessed with the year 1993. And I figured I would look for music from 93, but I, I excluded the usual stuff from the U.S., U.K., and Canada and saw try to see what else was out there, other countries. And I also I started just excluding, you know, the various metal genres. I didn't want any metal. But then I'm, I saw a bunch of interesting results in uh, psychedelic space rock genre. So I figured my search was ultimately 1993, not U.S., U.K., or Canada, psychedelic space rock genre, and found some interesting albums. And one of them was called, uh, it was an album called Cosmic Minds at Play by the Spacious Mind. And there were some really great reviews for it on there. Uh, so I started playing it, right? And I don't know if it's really, really that great or it's not, not really something I, I really like that much. But this is when I was really struggling about the violet color, right? And I looked at the image on the video for this, again, the, spac the spacious mind, cosmic minds at play from 1993, right? It's actually not that too bad. I don't know. I was. I just, for some reason, it was annoying me when I was listening to it. I may need to give it another chance. It's. It's not again because it's not on streaming. It's only on YouTube, right? Like so many albums, they're just on YouTube. They're too obscure. So anyway, you know when you used to buy a CD, there'd be that insert. You'd you'd have the jewel case they called it, and then that square printed little booklet that sort of slid in to the top, right? So they opened that up and they scanned it, the front and back, and that was just, that's the image on the video. And there's, uh, on the back of that booklet, I looked at what it said. While I was debating to use Violet on the cover, the back typeset in, it looks like ITC Eris, actually. It says, dot, 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 Violet Nightshades. Innocent bloom, omnivorous orchids, cautiously wait, hungrily loom. But the first phrase, violet nightshades? <laughs> For the overnightscape underground? I took that as a bit of a sign that I probably should go with the violet. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting, right? Is this good music? I don't know. I think it's all right. What was the review, though? The review that really kind of like... <laughs> Let me see. What's the other? I'm trying to get into Big Big Train too. Yeah, that band, uh, Big Big Train. I think I I was not into them because there's a, also a band called Train that's kind of like not a good band, but Big Big Train is a really good prog band. <laughs> Hold on, what's going on? Stop, stop, stop. Uh, I, I just wanted to find the review that really, really sold me on, on it. Here we go. 
This is a review by Loser Boy in 2004. <laughs> Loser Boy in 2004. Uh, <coughs> says, Without a question, you must grab a copy of this one, kids. Mind-bending, mood-enhancing, life-changing music with loads of wicked space grooves from these Swedish cosmonauts. Try to imagine an evening of the Osrics, that's Osric tentacles, mixed with Hawkwind and the psyche late 60s West Coast music scene, and you're not far from the truth. So that, that sentence really, really sold me because I love all that stuff. This album delivers tons of freaked-out guitar solos layered on top of heavy keyboard-laden, swirling synth-textured atmospheres with friendly support of the rhythm sections, drums, and hand percussion. Songs are nice and long, with two tracks well over 20 minutes, and effortlessly explore the unique and diverse regions of your mind. Tempo changes are quite frequent and seem to nicely break up the music, preventing it from becoming too static or repetitive. Cosmic Minds at Play is clearly one of the most progressively psychedelic sound sculptures I have heard in a long, long time, and is simply killer brain food. Yes, thank you, Loser Boy from, 19, from 2004. Yes. Yes. Anyway. But, I don't know. I mean, it sounds good on on paper, but is it? it, This is it. I mean, this is kind of... Is this it? This part has birds or something? Very mind-expanding. Sounds like birds, man. This sounds pretty good, actually. And here's some comments from uh, YouTube. Sad that such a brilliant album goes largely unnoticed. It's Mozart on acid. <laughs> wow. Mozart on acid, see? That sounds good, too. All right, maybe I should give this more of a chance. This is still the album? Wow, it's very, yeah. Sounds good. All right, I'll listen to it more. I'm also listening to Big Big Train here. They're uh, two albums combined uh, called English Electric Full Power. Let's see. This is Swan Hunter. Yeah, so this is more recent. This is more neo-prog. This is from 2013, in fact, and... The previous albums came out the previous couple years before that. I think I could get into that, definitely. So much music going on, not to mention the last Jimmy Buffett album, right? We got to talk about this coming up. So, anyway. We got the Hamaker Schlemmer catalog in the mail. This is an interesting place. I mean, I the main thing I've gotten from here is that sleep sound machine that uh, produces the white noise. But I used to stop by the uh, their flagship store up on Fifty Seventh Street, um, and they would always have these like really like enormously expensive like. Uh, let me see if they have anything here like super expensive things that cost like tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. I was trying to see if they have those, like, super expensive things. I don't know if you can find it. I remember one thing they had was that 
<clears throat> that sort of uh, like a 10-person bicycle. Everyone's sort of facing the center and pedaling, and it costs like $80,000 or something. Um, but, uh, yeah, most of the stuff they have is the usual catalog junk, usually geared towards older people because I guess these, these paper catalogs are really only older people will pay attention to them. But anyway, uh, trying to see if they have anything interesting here. Well, there's one thing very interesting, like a portable DVD player. 180? I think you could do better than 180 for a portable DVD player with a screen, please. Let me just do a quick search. I, I just, just as comparison. Well, I guess 50. Yeah, you get it for, like, there's a one for 50, 75. Yeah. You definitely get it for a lot less than that. 69, 49. Yeah, they look, yeah, here's one that looks very similar to the one they're selling. $49, yeah. Listen, caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. Is that the right Latin phrase? Yes. Anyway, I, I, I was just leafing through the catalog and they have this coin they're selling. And I noticed there's this huge 209 in the middle of this coin. I'm like, what the hell? And for you that don't know, I, I mean, 209 is my number. That's my big number, 209, 209. It's a whole backstory to it. It's a huge thing in my life. So it's the Hamaker Schlemmer 175th anniversary silver token. This is the limited edition silver token honoring Hamaker Schlemmer. It contains one ounce of 99.9% .9 fine silver accented with a 24-carat gold-plated center. The obverse of the coin bears the company name and location, while its reverse has olive branches that surround the phrase, not one cent. And the name of the engraver comes in a clear capsule with a display box. Only 175 available. There's only 175 of these in the world. So what, what it is, is it says, uh, <clears throat> let, me, let me look it on here, 209 Bowery, right? It says uh, C. Tolliner and Hamaker, New York, Hardware. 209 Bowery. So in New York, there's a street called Bowery, right? It's not Bowery Street or Bowery Lane. It's just Bowery, kind of like Broadway. So it's 209 Bowery, and uh, that was their first store. That Historically, that was where the first store was. It was a hardware store. But this coin with this big 209 on it, man, it, unfortunately, it's $200. So I think I'll skip this one. But 1848 to 2023, so I guess they started in 1848. Big 209 there. I want a 209 coin, damn it, but I don't need it. I was shocked. I didn't know there was, that there was a 209 connection with Hamaker Schlemmer. Ooh, they have unexpected presents. Let's see. Yes, here's... Okay, so here's some of those super expensive things. Okay, so for example... <coughs> The authentic baseball glove leather chair. It's a giant chair made to look like a baseball glove. $6,500. This is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. That that was the kind of, that's exactly the kind of thing they sell, yeah. Two-person transparent canoe kayak, $2,600. Jeez. Yes, and here it is. The only seven-person tricycle, $20,000, right? This is, so this is what I'm talking about. Uh, the, virtu the Virtual Therapist Luxury Massage Chair, $12,000. Uh, 
<laughs> giant pepper mill. The Pepper Files Pepper Mill. Only, only $280. That's not too bad. A little carousel for the kids, $10,000. The gyroscopic hammock. Ooh, that's interesting because that relates to the name of the last Jimmy Buffett album, a hammock. The gyroscopic hammock, $14,500. The out-of-the-park seat, another a chair that looks like a baseball for $4,500. <laughs> the mobility roadster, some of those little electric carts, but it looks like an old roadster for $5,500. Museum quality R2-D2, $7,500. If you ever wanted an R2-D2, that's museum quality. What kind of museum is this? The Museum of Star Wars? See, this is cool, yeah. This is the kind of stuff I'm looking Human bowling ball, $5,900. <laughs> Wright Brothers autographed tribute to flight, $4,000. Yeah. Personalized whack-a-mole game, $35,000. Well, listen, this is obviously for people where price is no object. I mean, you know, this is the golf cart hovercraft. Would you like a golf cart, a golf cart, but it's a hovercraft? Only $58,000. The immersive audio. How about a chair with speakers in it for $32,000? Yeah. How about a boat with a hot tub in it? They don't even have a price on it. I think these ones are probably sold out. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> This is, but it's, it's unique. It's interesting. It's interesting stuff. What else do they have here? The Flying Hovercraft, $190,000. The world's fastest amphibious car, $159,000. Yeah. The Amphibious Subsurface Watercraft, $300,000. The Celebrity Robotic Avatar, $345,000. the hell? How about the self-contained hoot nanny, like a little uh, automatic music thing, 54000 A giant perplexus for 55000 Huh? Eh? Yeah. How about the log cabin tree lodge for the kids? Only $30,000. $30,800, yes. Oh, this is cool. The genuine seven-foot Robbie the Robot, thirty-two grand. Listen, if you had extra money to uh, spend, it can be a lot of fun with this catalog, but... Uh, yeah, I can't even afford the 209 coin. Well, I can, I could probably buy it and rack up my credit card, but I can't like necessarily afford it, and I can't, especially can't just justify it. <laughs> Anyways, that's your story of the 209 coin. It's a beautiful thing, but I will forego the 209 coin for now. 175 other people will have it. Who, who's buying this coin? Without, without the. Uh, the 209 angle. Who's going to buy it? Who cares enough about Hamaker Schlemmer to buy their commemorative coin? To know. Anyway, yes, Jimmy Buffett did pass away a few months ago, very sadly. And a couple years ago, I really started getting into Jimmy Buffett. And uh, I'm glad I did because I do, I am quite fond of the music. Um, it's something that when I didn't know about it, I had all these preconceived notions about. Jimmy Buffett and what that was all about, the Parrot Heads and all the people that followed him and stuff. Um, the, one particular album, as opposed to One Particular Harbor, which is one of his big songs, one particular album um, that really got me into him uh, is this uh, Jimmy Buffett Live in Las Vegas, Nevada from 2003. And there's a few of these live albums from this uh, uh, the Tiki Tour Um 
this album, if you want, I, I don't think that, I think that just like The Grateful Dead, which of which Jimmy Buffett has some connections, like uh, the fans of The Grateful Dead are deadheads and the fans of Jimmy Buffett are called parrotheads. And he's, his whole thing is he, you know, he's sort of promoting a sort of a hedonistic lifestyle of uh, hanging out by the water, going on a boat, having some beers, and sort of like this permanent vacation kind of thing, uh, concept. Well, maybe permanent vacation is a bit of a darker edge, but you know what I'm saying. Um, but I don't think you can understand him without hearing the live shows. And this one to me is great. This was sort of, I guess, close after he had an enormous hit with, um, another country artist whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, it's five o'clock somewhere, right? Which was, which he, which he guest starred on this song by whoever it was. And so that's on here. Um, but this, you know, any of his concerts are going to have the big songs that he has to play every time, you know, Cheeseburger in Paradise, Margaritaville, One Particular Harbor, etc. But this album especially, of all of the live ones, there's a few. This one really um, got me into Jimmy Buffett. So, and I really, you know, there's a certain comfort in listening to this music. And he has a, a very, he has a very humorous uh you know, patter with, you know, pitter-patter with the audience. That's the right word. Banter with the audience. And you get a really good sense, so. Sad I never got to see him live, you know. I would have, uh, I, 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 the more I listen to him, the more I, I am becoming a fan. But I feel like there's a wealth of uh, Jimmy Buffett material out there. In fact, there's this uh, there's a website where there's a huge number of the live shows that are backed up, but the site is offline at the moment. Because I I was actually thinking of listening to a show from again the year that I am obsessed with 1993. So I went on that site, and uh, the that site was down. They have a number of 93 shows, but then on the other site, which is like a Jimmy Buff, Jimmy Buffett News maybe, they had posted um, a uh, an FTP server that had one show from 93, Poplar Creek Music Theater, Hoffman Estates, Illinois, which is in the Chicago area, July 27th of 1993. Interesting. That's the 209th day of the year. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Um, so I've been listening to that song, that that, that show, and uh, there's a song called uh, Buck But the Turtle. And apparently it's the only time he ever played that song. Let me see if I can find, find it here. And I, I got this. It's, I'm always fascinated by this. this cert, a song that's only played once, right? On the, in, in terms of the Grateful Dead, the most mysterious song they have was only played once. It's called uh, Revolutionary Hamstrung Blues. Only ever played once and never released or played in any other form. And here's a buck, but, buck, but the turtle. As it turns out, this is a pretty. Hey, with Jimmy Buffett at eight thirty-five. Jimmy, we have to ask you one thing. We read a story earlier. Oh, this is the origin of it. This is when he invented the song on this radio show. Earlier this morning. It's not true. Did you hear about this? No, uh, no. <laughs> no, no. You, yeah, you saw the tabloid. You thought, oh, no, what's oh, a tabloid? Oh, great. Sex crazed turtle tries to mate with scuba divers. Scuba divers in the Florida Keys have been warned about. Was the morning zoo somewhere? Turtle. 
that has already raped one man twice and sexually assaulted another one. Now, wait, I think there's a song here. Oh, there is. I a do song think there. this is a well, song. You know what? Let's make one up. Okay, this is every bit as terrifying as Jaws. Okay, and he played it on that one show in 93, so this is from the year before. It's the origin of Buck Butt the Turtle. Diving in the upper keys, okay? I'm glad it was a real estate agent. Yeah, especially in the keys, right? Yeah. When he was mounted and pushed to the bottom by a huge... What, there's a particular problem with real estate in the, in the Florida Keys? Buck mounted, by the way, keyword here. Okay, you go ahead and start playing. Call it Turtle Buck. Call it Turtle Buck? Call it Buck. Buck the Turtle. Buck the Turtle. The Ballad of Buck the Turtle. All right. Write it in D. Here we go. All right. Now let me give you a couple more facts while you're strumming there. So now we've got a 300-pound turtle, real estate agent swimming. Okay. Turtle named Buck. But. Oh, wait a minute. But. But the divers have nicknamed the sex-crazed turtle Crazy Charlie. No. Buck. 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 My turtle. Buck. Buck. Yeah. Buck the Turtle. Turtle's a hard word to rhyme. Let's see, turtle, girdle. <coughs> fertile, yes. Okay, here we go. We've got fertile, okay. we've got turtle. Well, it was... Okay, I'm talking blues. Huh? Okay, here talking we go. Blues. Got it. Well, it was a lazy day in the Florida Keys. Not much wind and not much breeze, so down below the water went our boy. He'd had it with the builders, he'd had it with the cars. Imagine listening to the radio in 92 and hearing that. Back with Jimmy Buffett. Where's the actual song? <laughs> I have it on my computer upstairs if I can't find it, but... Uh, because I don't have it here. What is this Beanie Baby's value guide? What is this? Is there a Buck Butt? Did they make a, a, a Beanie Baby of Buck Butt the Turtle, the horny turtle? No, this is just some foolishness. What do you expect from the internet from foolish but foolishness? All right, let me get that song. All right, I got it. Here it is from that show in 93. <laughs> Beautiful. Now I've worked on it a little bit since the radio show, so. Well, it was late one evening in the Florida Keys, hot as hell, not much breeze. A day for the boy to swim below. He was angry with the realtors, angry with the cars, angry with the turds, angry with the stars. Scuba diver, watch out below. Are we ready? Here it comes. Buck, buck, turtle. Feel 
go. The actual performance of Buck But the Turtle. But there's more about Buck But. Um, here on uh, BuffettNews.com, in 2006, someone wrote Buck Buck the Turtle. They, mis they, they misspelled it. They didn't realize it was Buck But. Let's see. Uh, did you guys ever hear of Jimmy Buffett do the Ballad of Buck the Turtle? The only time I can recall is many years ago on Johnny B's show in Chicago, not in a concert that I can remember. Right, he played it this morning in response to Jessica Alba saying she was molested by some dolphins during the filming of Flipper. I don't know if it was edited or not, but it seemed Jimmy Buffett was fast on his feet. How old do you think that is? So everyone's all confused here. I guess in 2006, was there a Flipper movie? I have to admit, Flipper is something I'm not... Uh, I know it was a TV show. <laughs> Wait a minute. They, they did a remake in 96. The hell? Uh, but Jessica Alba's not listed as being in the movie. Flipper in... The, oh, we're looking for one in 2006, though. Hmm. I never watched Flipper, the TV show. If I did, I don't remember much about it, but hold on. This is getting this is getting very deep, this whole uh, discussion here. Flipper 2006. Flipper's New Adventure. Flipper's New Adventure. Hmm. <laughs> Wait a second. I'm getting all confused here. Jessica Alba, she's now 42 years old, and let me just see if she's in this Flipper movie. Or maybe, they, maybe they're confusing her with someone else. Yeah, I don't see any Flipper. Okay, hold on, hold on. She performed the role of Maya in the first two seasons of the 1995 TV series Flipper. So she was, okay, so she was in, yes, she was in Flipper on TV. Okay, not a movie, in, on TV. But that was in 95. Hmm. Maybe she was being interviewed about it and in in the 2006 time period or all right let's see what let's see what they're saying about this here's a quote from Jessica Alba dolphins get excited even when you're a human being and they have long long dot 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 I didn't know this until I was poked by a few of them, which was very rude. I sort of requested female dolphins after that because those are little bitches. B dot dot s. I don't know. The song originated from a Jonathan Brandmeier radio gag where Jimmy made up this song on the air from a news story where a scuba diver was accosted by a horny turtle. Jimmy played the song at a 1993 Poplar Creek Theater show in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. I didn't realize Jimmy played it at Poplar Creek, but I did hear it live as it happened on the radio. I hear someone who heard it live on the radio named Tiki Bar. Interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, here's the scoop. Okay, here's more information. Is, do we need more information on this? I don't know. Jimmy happened to be in a, in studio on the morning showgram in Chicago when Buzz Kilman was doing a news story on divers in Isla Morada getting humped by sea turtles. 
or whatever they are down there. So Jonathan Brandmeier said, that sounds like a Buffett song waiting to happen. They went to commercial break, and when they came back, Jimmy had made up the song and played it on the spot. I thought it was the only time he ever played it, but I, I could be wrong. But Brandmeier has played it many times since. At every subsequent visit of Jimmy to Johnny B, listeners always request it, but they just play the tape. Yeah, very, very popular song in the Jimmy Buffett world, yes. Anyway, there is a a new album, the last album, because Jimmy Buffett passed away. Apparently, uh, apparently uh, Paul McCartney plays on this album, too, interestingly. But I was listening to this. It's called Equal Strain on All Parts. It just came out recently. Yeah, back on November 3rd, just a few days ago. But one week ago, in fact. Um, the idea is that his grandfather used to describe uh, taking a nap in a hammock and that it, it was equal strain on all parts, that is. I guess the hammock, you know, you're evenly, you know, the pressure on your body is evenly divided, something. Um, the University of Bourbon Street is the first song featuring the Preservation Hall Jazz Band. Then my gummy just kicked in, which I can relate. I've been taking those gummies recently, and it takes a while to kick in. Apparently, Paul McCartney was Paul McCartney's wife who talked about the gummy kicking in. I think his wife was from Metuchen, New Jersey, actually. And um, I really like the song from Portugal or PEI. So, referencing Prince Edward Island. Pretty good song. Talking about like international stuff. I don't know. Featuring Lenny Gallant and Will Kimbrough, wherever they are. This is my favorite song on the album, I think. The Nomad Gene. Anyway, you get the idea. So I thought this was pretty good, and I uh, it's kind of sad I'll never get to go to a Jimmy Buffett show until we get a time machine uh, available. Hopefully it won't be too long for that, but we know that one will be invented eventually, and they're being very stingy. They're not bringing it back in time for everyone to enjoy. I know, that could cause all sorts of trouble. What do you want? What do you want? It is a bit later now. Got some Amazon deliveries. Uh, we're actually having a game night tonight, so I figured I would see about getting a new game. I got uh, this game called Linky, the Yell Out the Link party game. Yeah, because we're going to have like 10 or more people. Because um, there's some games it's hard to play with that many people, but this is like a party game. Let's see. Cheese, waffle, French, curly. Can you work out the link between these four things? Yep. What do you think the link is? It's fries. Linky is a super simple party game. Just answer four little questions and race to find the link between the answers. Get it right and win the card. Every card has a letter on the back. Collect enough letters to spell Linky and you've won. So yeah, here's like a sample card. What? 
are provolone, Swiss, and mozzarella, forms of cheese. A southern breakfast is fried chicken and what? Waffles. What nationality was artist Claude Monet, French? Putting rollers in your hair makes it go what? Curly. Clue, potato sticks. The link between all of them is fries. Anyway, the game I really want to play is Whiz War, but that's, uh, I think, a max of, I think, six players. I'm not sure. We had to do more party games, but Linky could be good. I wanted to mention at the very start of this episode, so to give you a little behind the scenes of this episode, I didn't have a clear opening for the show. You know, here on the Overnightscape for many years, I do what we call the cold open. It is, I just start talking about a topic. No theme song, no introduction, just start talking because, and that sort of grew out of years ago, just kind of being frustrated with hearing other people's shows and hearing like these long introductions. I figured, why not just start talking, get right into it, you know? So I've been doing that for many years now. Usually, I'll have something because the way I do this show is, you know, do it twice a week. And, um, at all times in my life, I'm constantly jotting down ideas for the show. And usually enough stuff builds up that I can get, you know, something will jump out as the opening. Occasionally I have this issue where I don't have an opener. So I sat, I went outside and I was scrutinizing my show notes. I had nothing. So I was sitting there for probably the better part of 20 minutes racking my brain and finally I came up with the old commute concept which which did work it was very painful it was you know painful you know mentally painful to sit there and try to think of what to start with it happened I mean it happens occasionally um, a lot of times I'll just start talking about different shopping malls I've got I went to in the past but I know I've that that's been my go-to when I have nothing just to start talking about malls you know but, yeah, so that seemed to work. But it's, it happens, though, sometimes I don't have a, a good opener. Once it's open, then I can kind of, then it, it all comes sort of easier based on my notes. Um, just a little <coughs> behind the scenes. Anyway, I got my screwdriver set. It's called the Precision Screwdriver Set. Jake Jacamy, J-A-K-E-M-Y. You know, this, this uh, situation or phenomenon of... Um, Chinese brand names that are sort of not really well thought out uh, is going to be an interesting aspect of history because someone may start to try to figure out what were all these different brand names. So Jacamy or Jakemy, J-A-K-E-M-Y, is another one of these Chinese brand names. Jacamy, Worldwide Services, Essential in Life. The JM8153 Precision Screwdriver Set, the original all-in-one interchangeable precise manual tool set. Uh, whether or not I'm going to... So I need this to open the back of that video game system if I need to disconnect the battery. Hopefully I won't need to because later the actual chip is coming and uh, see if it works. Then I hopefully they'll have uh, Ridge Racer 4 on there. I can. I guess I'll have to restart my game though because the save will be gone, but that's fine. Love that Ridge Racer 4. Anyway, or Ridge Racer Type 4, whatever the official name is. Hopefully I won't have to crack this open. This is a good thing to have. You know, all those little um, 
sizes of, of hex wrenches and bolts and things so you can open things up. <sighs> yeah, right. It's probably a waste. It's probably a waste. Oh yeah, this uh, David Letterman thing. I wanted to. Uh, I wonder what I, I saw this story. You know, David Letterman. He has this giveaway. I, I was always a huge fan of uh, of of David Letterman. I actually um, <clears throat> became a fan of his uh, daytime show. He was on for a few months at like 10.30 in the morning. And over the summer, this was 1980, I believe. Um, yeah, I would have been like 12 years old. I somehow, you know, home from school, obviously, in the summer, became a huge fan of this show immediately. Immediately became a big fan of Letterman. Then he was canceled very quickly. Daytime was not his not his uh, forte, of course. And then, because I was a fan, we found out he was doing a stand-up set at a local community college, and we went to see him perform stand-up. It was amazing. It's when the late night show had been announced, but it didn't start yet. And the announcer was like, and now the man who'll be keeping you up late at night, David Letterman. It was so great seeing him live such an early time. And then, of course, the show, which was on after Carson, you know, the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. We would normally uh, at that time uh, record it on our, our Betamax and watch it the next day when we got home from school. Uh, those early days when he was on NBC were the best. And then he went over to CBS and with his late show. And, um, you know, progressively, it's, the sheen started fading off of the Letterman show, as you might expect, it, you know. But anyway, here's the, uh, the thing that just uh, yesterday they announced this. And it's actually Dave and, uh, and Paul. Wow, it's so great to see them, and like today, you know, it's wild. They're still around. Paul Schaefer. Hey, Dave. Hi, everybody. I'm Dave. They call me the Breeze Letterman. How you doing? My good friend, Paul Schaefer. Say hello, Paul. Nice to be here, David, and nice to see everybody. We're here to announce the, by the way. I... It's funny, because like this, if it was back in like the 80s, this could have been a weird skit where they both dressed up in like old makeup to like do something like this, but they're actually old now. I'm also giveaway Dave. Because we're giving away a significant piece from the old show and the Ed Sullivan Theater. Yeah. It's part of the marquee, and it's big, 8 feet by 20 feet, and it says Late Show with David Letterman. And you can the have that. The actual piece from the marquee, from the marquee. It's huge. Made out of glass or fiber or something. Fiber. Yeah, black plexiglass. And not only that, we'll get it to your home. And, and, and I, parenthetically, I have no idea why anybody would want this. But we'll get it to your home, and put it in your yard, and the neighbors will call the police. Uh, and we'll give you, the winner, a trip to New York City, and you get to be on the Barbara Gaines show. Paul might be here. I might be here. And Barbara Gaines will be here. It's a huge internet who, YouTube who? show. People love it. They can't Barbara get enough Gaines? of the Barbara Gaines show. You'll get to one. be on that show. I've done it. It's like the Soupy Sales show. The celebrities want to wow, do it. Soupy Sales wants wow. to do it. I've done Soupy it. Soupy Sales yeah, reference. Great. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You get to be on the show. And the proceeds, how much do you think we'll make, Paul? Well, I'm a wish when it comes to this. I can. I will predict mm. to the nearest dollar what, do you what we're going to make. Yeah, what are you talking about? I can save my prediction. I'm no fool. Uh -huh. I, I know if I save it, you know, people will tune in to see it. So I'm going to... I will be predicting between now and then. Okay. Paul we'll predicts, look, look yeah. look forward to that. Uh, but, and the money, uh, after expenses, 
We'll go to uh, Habitat for Humanity. Now, that's a wonderful cause. Yeah, I, uh, I worked with them. Paul mm -hmm. has worked with yeah. them. Very proud of the association. I'm being told now that you get to come and meet Dave. And that's Dave for anybody. Is that Dave anybody that we know? That's all I, that's all I was told. Okay. You that, get to come and meet Dave. That's good enough for me. Give away Dave, and you could win the beautiful that's marquee That's the website, piece. is that right? Giveawaydave.com. And we'll show you. I think we're showing you a piece of that, uh, what you're going to win right now. Yeah, and we're looking at a, or the website, a lot of money to Habitat Humanity. Yeah, yeah that's well, lovely. It's and lovely of Paul with a song. Okay, you stepped out of a dream. You stepped out of a dream. That's all I got. Okay, good night. Great, good first take. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see, giveawaydave.com. You have to give $10, and uh, then you can enter now. Take home the original late-night marquee sign. Wow, 20 feet long, yeah. I saw that sign so many times. I used to go up there. Um, after work, there was a time I would go up there and hang out by the side door to watch the celebrities leave. That was cool. And I did actually go to see one of the uh, Letterman shows um, at, at that theater. Only one, the one that Tori Amos was at. Somehow, we were big Tori Amos fans, and we got tickets somehow. It was cool going to see David Letterman there. So how does this work? Uh, let's see. 119 people have donated so far. Kind of a hidden 209 because 11 times 19 equals 209. Anonymous donated $25. Can't wait to meet you. Stephen Robbins donated 250 Got any gum? Is that like an in-joke? <laughs> Amy Landis, love you and the work you've been doing since retirement. Can't wait to see what's next. These are all the donors. The donors, you can leave a message. Edward Scala says, uh, thank you for supporting Habitat. See, he's cool, because instead of saying Habitat for Humanity, you can just shorten it to Habitat. But where the hell are all the singing cats? See, I, I remember that joke. It was, uh, what's his name? Um, Paul Newman was in the audience. And, uh, and Dave pointed it out, and Paul Newman was like, where the hell are the singing cats? He thought he was going to see the musical Cats, and he was in the David Letterman Theater. That was the gag. Wow, I can I see, I got that one. That's kind of an in-joke. This is great. Anonymous says, this is great. My grandfather worked on the Ed Sullivan Show. My grandmother did a lot with Habitat for Humanity. It would be cool to win. Robert Bienvenu says, a trip to possibly meet someone sounds great. So you have to give, sorry to getting too complicated. I don't know. I, I, I don't think I'm going to enter. I mean, it would be cool to meet Dave Letterman, but I don't know what I would do with this sign. I really don't have room for it. I mean, I'd, I'd I guess I could put it in my garage, but I really don't even have room in my garage for 20 feet long. I mean, I don't know. And where do you put it? I mean, I don't know. Can they, with one of the habitats, can they just put it in the habitat? I don't know. I don't think I'm going to do it, but um, let me see if I can find that video. Letterman, Paul Newman, where the hell are the singing cats? Uh... Is this it? 1993? Ooh, I got an ad for Homaker Schlemmer. Jeez, they must have seen I was on the website, so now they're giving me ads for it. August 30th, 1993. Ooh, we're back to 93 again. Nice. Paul Newman in the audience. I've had his salsa many times. 
classic. But they don't have sort of the lead up to it. They're kind of you're not getting any context. I think is this the whole episode here? Yes, yeah, so you can watch the whole episode from August 30th, 1993. What is it about 1993? I always seem to be coming back to that year. I look, the Twin Towers, wow. Where they got blown up, as I mentioned earlier. There's the marquee, wow. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the greatest novelties is a fabulous what? boy prodigy. Ed Sullivan. Of all the oh, this is his first show at CBS. Okay, that, all right. I didn't realize it was the first show at CBS. Here's an act that'll scare the life out of you. From China. He's been in India. He's been all over the world. See, I was, I'm too young to have been watching Ed Sullivan, unfortunately. A Texas friend of mine. My handsome Italian paisano, today's greatest living American. Here's the man I How about the Christian puppet mouse Topo Gigio? Wow, I didn't realize this was the first episode. Wow, that was very exciting. I was probably I was probably watching this. I you know I was on top of all this. This is after the late night wars, as they were known, when Letterman was the heir apparent for the Tonight Show, but they wound up giving it to uh, Jay Leno. It was a whole thing, the late night wars. So he quit. He's like, I quit. I'm gonna go get my own show. Damn it. I'm going to bring Paul Shaver with me, too. It's over 30 years ago now. Can you believe it? That's why everyone knows that, that gag, because everyone was watching this episode. If you think about it, all I really did was take the summer off. <laughs> Thank you very much. Welcome to the uh, show. My name is Dave, and I checked this now with the CBS attorneys, and legally, I can continue to call myself Dave. So I... <laughs> yes, sir. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there was some discussion when I left my old job at NBC. There was talk that maybe they would sue me if this show was anything like the old show. And, and frankly, I never took it very seriously because, for one thing, I thought, well, the legal department at NBC has their hands all tied up defending that Dateline NBC show. So I, they're not. Ooh, don't know that. Don't know that reference. And, and there must have been some controversy with Dateline. I wake up, and next to me in bed is the head of a peacock, so I don't know. <laughs> See? Because in The Godfather, the head of a horse, yeah. See all these jokes? See, you need to have all this context to understand the jokes. There's already one I didn't understand. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to thank the, uh, the good folks uh, here at CBS for taking the low-key approach to promoting this show. <laughs> The Gulf War didn't get this kind of coverage. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a promo. This is the actual show. 
Wait, I think I found it. NBC admits it rigged crash settles GM suit. In an extraordinary public apology, NBC said Tuesday night that it erred in staging a fiery test crash of a General Motors pickup truck for its Dateline NBC news program and agreed to settle a defamation suit filed by the automaker. So apparently it was like a slow motion crash where like the truck like blew up and they rigged it. They faked it. Wow. See, that was the joke. excited about working for CBS. I just found out in addition to doing this show every night, turns out next week I get to kill a guy on Murder, She Wrote. So I can't... <laughs> you folks are now in a, in a part of uh, television and entertainment history here in the Ed Sullivan Theater. It's, it's a marvelous, wonderful edifice and we couldn't be happier to trying be to see I'm where the uh, Paul Newman there stuff is, is on Trying to like fit. Here, here and, we and, go. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the construction people. All right, let's See, let's fast forward. Oh my God, there is. Do you want to? Oh my God, they throw ads so much, and they don't even they don't even allow ad blockers anymore. The ghost of Ed Sullivan. A new kind of love, Paramount co-stars with his wife, Joanne Woodward, and the picture's opening as you know through the United States now. They were supposed to be on our show tonight. Joanne's got a very bad cold. They're coming on some other time, but I want you to meet. Paul Newman, stand up there and take him out, please? There he is. Wow, I didn't realize it was like an Ed Sullivan reference. Wow. He was actually, I guess he wasn't, wow. He was back in the 60s, right? See, this is the, the greater context so that, that you understand the, the joke better. Singing cats. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. This, this, is, this is not cats. This is my my TV show. <laughs> he looks at his tickets. I'm in the wrong theater. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's the gag. All right. So there is a, see the larger, the greater context. The contextualization is very important. So you understand these things. I have a feeling this is what people are going to be doing in the far future. Just researching the 20th and perhaps early 21st century because it's the most interesting time in history. And here we are living it. Are we living it or are we, are we living a simulation of it? Let's not go down that road again. Listen, everything's real. Everything's fine. What do you want? Where the hell's the mailman? I need, I need my, my microchip. I need my microchip, damn it. I want, I want, I want to see if my, my video game is going to work with a microchip. What time do they usually come? I don't know. It's a very random when the mail people come. Very random indeed. We'll see. I gotta get ready for game night, damn it. You know, a while back, I was gonna take a trip to, to Middletown, New York. I'm trying to remember what happened. I had the trip all planned out, but something happened. Um, yeah, there's that pinball place up there. But anyway, I saw this event happening tomorrow, 11-11-23, called Gorgor... Gorgarmageddon, right? It is a pinball contest, and every machine is Gorgar, okay? Enter the lair of Gorgar. Orange County Pinball Club presents Gorgarmageddon. 
It's an IFPA-sanctioned pinball tournament, the world's only all-gorgar tournament. Steal your nerves and test your skill as you battle for your life on a bank of six or more gorgar machines. It's at Quinn's Pins in Middletown. And I know that place, Rock Fantasy, where I was going to go, was also one of the uh, promoters of it. Yeah, I, there's a lot of pinball stuff going on uh, up in uh, Middletown, New York. So, uh, I mean, what happened to that? I had that plan. I was going to go to the mall. I was going to go everywhere. Somehow my plans fell through. I know what happened. Yeah, it was my father. My father got sick, I think. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happened. Anyway... You know Gorgar Pinball? One of, I think it's one of the first talking pinballs. Let's see if we can hear some Gorgar Pinball. Gorgar lives. The Gorgar is basically sort of a demonic entity of some sort. Uh, let's see. Here's Gorgar. No. You're looking at the Gorgar Pinball Machine by Williams. Can we just hear it being played? Play it. Touch up, but over... <laughs> Yeah, it has that good sound. I want to enter the contest. I don't think I'm going to be able to make it, though. It's really, I mean, it's like a, what is it, like an hour, at least an hour's drive up there. I took a train up there once to the Crystal Run Mall, which is right there in Middletown. Where's the talking, though? Yeah, so there's Gorgar. So I guess I, I won't I won't be able to uh, participate in Gorgar Armageddon, but I would love to, though. It's a kind of event that's right up my alley. I'll get there eventually up to all the pinball stuff up in Middletown, New York. Yeah, it's more like an hour, an hour and a half kind of drive up there. Yeah, it's a little further than I thought, yeah. Anyway, what was I going to do? I was going to go... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that spot. I was, yeah, I was going to go up a different way. There was a whole thing. I, I know I must have talked about my plans here. But there's a spot where you can stand in New York, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey all at once. Right, the Tri-State Monument. Yeah, I was going to go there too. I was going to do all these things, but I did not. Wouldn't it be cool to stand in all three states at once? I think so. All right, the mail has come and the new card is here. Ooh, coming from New Jersey as well. Let's see what we got here. It is a, a Samsung card. It has the adapter. And as I mentioned, uh, I have this new device, a really cool device, but it died apparently because the chip was bad or the, the little card. These are these little tiny micro SD cards, about as big as a fingernail. And let's see if we can, whoa, <laughs> uh, see if this works. I mean, just stick it in and turn it on and then we'll see if we are okay or if we still have a problem. Let's see, here we go. Wish me luck. Come on. I hope it still has battery power. It's weird. Like it, 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 it doesn't seem like it can charge if it doesn't have a 
Don't tell me the battery ran out. Oh, come on. Alright, let me, let me hit reset. Uh, I thought this demo would go better. Uh, yeah, I think we got a problem here. Hmm. Ooh, I see something going on here. Something happened. Hmm. Um, it's a flash. All right, let me get the power adapter and see what we can do there. Hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I don't think it's gonna, doesn't seem to be working. <sighs> Let's see what we can do. Wait, something happened, something happened. Oh no, <laughs> the startup, the boot up screen came on, but then it looks like it, it, it got corrupted. Oh no. <laughs> Listen, this gadget's more trouble than it's worth. What the heck? Let me try one more time here. Here we go. No? Yeah. Oh. It, it starts up and then it sort of gets corrupted with like pink lines and stuff. Why can't I have anything work properly? I don't know. Hmm. You try to reboot it. All right, this is obviously going to take a while. <laughs> no. Yeah, it came on, and I can see the menus, but then it gets like this weird corruption. Maybe it is the battery. I don't know. Hmm. I guess I should just leave it plugged in for a little while. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know. It's just what a mess. What a mess. All right, it's later on now. Well, no happy endings for that game device, I'm sorry to report. I did wind up uh, taking the back off. That seemed to do something and, you know, disconnecting the battery and everything, but nothing I did could make a dent in making it work. So I'm returning it and getting a new one. I may just have a defective model. Since I ordered it through Amazon, the return seems to be pretty easy. They're going to ship me another one by tomorrow, and then I have to drop it off at a Kohl's. For some reason, my local Kohl's won't work down on Route 46. Um, I have until February 1st, 2024 to return it, so pretty pretty lenient. I guess next time I go down that way, I'll just drop it off. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of... I, I may just have had a defective unit, you know? What do you want? It's defective, damn it. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. We may have to cancel game night, too, because my wife isn't feeling well. Anyway. I'm going to keep working on uh, the next edition of the book. The uh, the cover. I've been working on the cover. Uh, you know, now that I have the, uh, the design I like in Photoshop, I am kind of reconstructing it in Illustrator, so it's all in vector. So, I think it'll look good. And, uh, yeah, with that, I'd like to thank you so much for uh, patching into this episode of The Overnightscape. I'm your host, Frank Edward Nora, here in Nutley, New Jersey. And today is uh, Friday, November 10th, 2023. And, uh, yeah, this project is called OnSug Radio. 
This shows the overnight scape. It's been going for over 20 years now. Actually, technically, as I mentioned, 24 years for this project. And, um, yeah, it's a radio station inside a book. Just go to onsug.com in this time period for all the information you need, all the latest shows, and where you can get the book and download all the files on the Internet Archive, all there at onsug.com. That's O-N-S-U-G.com. It stands for Overnight Scape Underground. And, uh, yeah, we have over 14,000 hours of uh, content similar to what you've just heard. Unique style, right? It's a very different kind of thing. We're sort of in our own little... We're living in this world, but we have our own little sub-audio world that we all exist in as well. I have to think that uh, the shows here on Onsug Radio very different than any other podcasts out there, any other internet radio shows, what have you. Over 11,000 individual uh, episodes, and it's all preserved for you to listen to. <coughs> so many other podcasts I know, uh, the, the old shows are inaccessible. you got to pay money to listen to them. All, 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 all this other malarkey, okay? We are preserving everything forevermore. That is the concept. And, uh, yeah, we're very interested in people listening into the far future, as I was mentioning. I think it'd be real interesting uh, for someone in the year 3111, for example, to be uh, listening to these shows. Can you imagine hearing someone from, like, ancient Egypt or ancient Rome talking like this? And you could hear them, and you're living in such a different time and such a different place. And you can sort of get to – I would love that. I'm really fascinated by, like, ancient Rome and – the whole society they had then. Imagine if you could hear someone talking. I know they wouldn't be talking in English, but hopefully by the time we get that, we can have, uh, you know, to translate someone speaking in a foreign language into your language, but with their voice and their inflections and everything else. Can't be done right now, but I think with AI it, it will be able to be done. So you could hear someone from ancient Rome, if again, if they were making these recordings, which they weren't, you know, uh, Talking about daily life and the things they're doing, you know, you know, I went to the Coliseum today. What, what, what's going, uh, what's going on over there? Yeah. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. Do you know what I'm saying? Do I know what I'm saying? I don't know what I'm saying. Check it out. Onsug Radio uh, is here forever for you to listen to. We are your radio pals, and this certainly is the motherload of this type of audio content, indeed. And be aware that you are invited to participate in an audio program known as Overnightscape Central. A new topic each week. Can you imagine this? It's been going for way over 10 years now. PQ River out in Truth of Consequences, New Mexico, will put forth a new topic, and all you got to do is record some audio and email it to them. Just listen to the most recent episode of Overnightscape Central on onsug.com for your opportunity to participate. We'd love to hear from you. The topic, uh, this next topic, uh, the previous topic was 80s movies, and the next topic is what have we been listening to lately? So, and take the topic and explore it as you wish, however you want to interpret that. What have you been listening to lately? You can, you can interpret it any way you like. We'd love to hear from you. Please do record for that program. We'd love to hear from you, as I said. Anyways, now it's uh, time to uh, switch gears a bit and, uh, Hopefully this won't be defective as well. No, the, the, this, is, this is something that is never defective because all defects uh, uh, add into the, uh, the, the magnificence of the thing. You know it. You love it. It's here. 
the other side.
scientists have recently found that by examining satellite and high-altitude photographs, they are able to make new discoveries about early human settlements. From above, roads are seen that would never be noticed at ground level, and patterns of ancient farmlands and vegetation reveal themselves. Scholars in many countries are now using satellite photos in their explorations. One example is Mesa Verde, Colorado. Here, many years ago, there lived a people known to their descendants as the Anazazi, the ancient ones. For over 600 years, they lived in the Mesa Tops, where they farmed and hunted. From a basket-making people, living in dugout huts, they became accomplished builders and masons. Then, about 1200 A.D., a strange thing happened. In a short period, they moved en masse down into well-defended positions in the cliffs. Why? Who did they fear? There is no evidence of invaders, and yet, we wonder. In the hundred years they lived in the cliffs, the Anazazi built some 700 dwellings. Three generations made their homes in places like these. The Anazazi were in constant touch with their many gods. Only the smallest ruins are without at least one kiva, a subterranean ceremonial room where men would gather round the fire, chanting far into the night. Friendly spirits were welcome at the ceremonies. In the floor of the kiva was a symbolic open doorway to the spirit world below. For a hundred years, the gods were kind. There were good harvests, and the little rooms were full of life. Then, in 1276 A.D., began 24 years of drought, the greatest ever in the history of the American Southwest. Perhaps an overcrowded population had exhausted the soil of the Mesa Top Farms. Perhaps bands of enemies came raiding. Perhaps all their water sources had run dry. We may never know for certain just when or why. But sometime during the drought, the ancient ones, hungry, embattled, abandoned by their gods, walked away from their homes forever. For 600 years, no one entered the ruins. The Ute and Navajo Indians avoided the melancholy cities, believing that the spirits of the Anazazi still lived there. Then, in 1906, this land was declared a national park. And now, how curious it is that as a benefit of space exploration, modern man is able to locate trails and farmlands from centuries ago. Hopefully, to provide more clues and expand our knowledge of the Anazazi and other ancient peoples. Thank you.
the moon has become a vast, complex space station. Suddenly, frightened, blasted out of Earth orbit, destined to journey forever, deeper and deeper into the unknown. Destination Moon Base Alpha, an epic adventure across the universe to experiences beyond the imagination of any Earth-bound human. Sensors pick up configuration of a spaceship. Heading. Directly at us. Arm all lasers! Destroy the alien ship! Nothing is impossible in the vast, uncharted dimensions of hyperspace. Where reality and illusion are the weapons. It means we can travel anywhere in the universe now. They're really here. Yes. How we can get back to Earth. Yes. <laughs> Where human force and alien intelligence are the combatants. Two aliens have been dispatched for the nuclear trigger. Once they energize it, we will take our fill. All the alien creatures will die. Where human extinction on moon base Alpha may be seconds away. All right. Pose so many times, getting hit in the face with a stick. Take two. That's good. Take four. I had enough of this. <laughs> I, the snow fell back. I want a little bit of snow to fall forward. <laughs> there we go. Good shot. Really, thank you, Catherine. No. They do this to me all the time because I know. Anyone, is anyone else hungry? <laughs> they do this to me. They'll order for five, me oh in boy. French. Wow. They no. do that to me. I thought you were dead. Uh, Reincarnated. Uh, okay. Stop right there. Got it? Good, wait. You got to back up a little bit. I don't think you get a rod up your ass right now. Just like standing around like, you know, it's, I'm the, I, I work in the, uh, you know, you have like a, you have like a, a, a flash, you'd be like swinging. Yeah. yeah that's like, that's just, okay, do that, do that. Get like a flask. Okay. A flask, yeah. Don't make it, make it scotch. Alright. You want to, uh, Get this going. We have to get right. going. We have to get this moving here. All right. Um, no crashing in this scene. What is this? What is this? Come on. All right. All right. Ready? Get and him. Get uh, him. Swing. Go like. Go like. You should be like swinging so we can see it on the camera. All right. Put Whenever you're ready. Off. Okay. All right. Ready? Start with that. Scott and Scott Spencer. Got it. Yeah. Okay. I'm having incredibly impure thoughts. Yeah. This discontinued Cheyenne and Orangina is worthless without it. Those damn people at Pepperidge Farm. Thank you. Bye. Let me help you. Oh, Fred was going to carry one of them, but he didn't want to throw me off balance. <laughs>
Vivian Vance, television's number one second banana. In 1951, Vivian was known to millions as Lucy Ricardo's sidekick, Ethel Mertz, on the hit sitcom I Love Lucy. 38-year-old Vivian couldn't walk down the street without people recognizing her as Lucy's partner in crime. She says, they only know me as Ethel Mertz. And she says, that is another reason I'm going to an analyst. Well, it wasn't the first time. Vivian Vance spent many hours on the psychiatrist's couch. Paranoia was part of Vivian's life long before she ever heard of Ethel Mertz. She was so afraid of losing her mind completely that she would put a note in her pocket with her name and address. On this episode of Mysteries and Scandals, we'll go behind the laughter of I Love Lucy and take a look at Vivian's battles with on-screen husband Fred, played by William Frawley. He retaliated by uh, suggesting lines for Fred to say, to, to insult Ethel. People used to ask her, Hi Viv, how's Bill Frawley? And she used to always say, Dad, thank God. We'll also explore the explosive relationship of TV's most famous female duo. Lucy had many demands of Vivian. One of them was that Vivian keep her weight up. And we'll hear from the only surviving star of I Love Lucy, the actor who played little Ricky, Keith Thibodeau. She always kind of lived in the shadow of being Ethel, this frumpy lady. I'm A.J. Benza. Join me as we explore the secret side of Ethel Mertz, Vivian Vance. feature has been rated PG by the Motion Picture Association of America. You're watching premium subscription television, home box office. There's a weekend of great premieres coming your way on Home Box Office, starting with Pierre Delay and John Saxon in Stranger in the House. It's Christmas on campus, a quiet sorority house, and a killer in the attic. Then, don't miss the wettest, wildest movie in years, Car Wash. George Carlin and Richard Pryor star in this upbeat hangout with comedy in the driver's seat. The master of suspense, Alfred Hitchcock, comes to Home Box Office with his most sinister film in years, Family Plot, starring Bruce Dern and Barbara Harris. There's more comedy with Drive-In, America. American Graffiti took you back to 62. Drive-In brings you up to date. After you stop at the car wash, head for the drive-in. Finally, a great film encore as Michael Caine and Sean Connery star in John Huston's The Man Who Would Be King. It's epic adventure in a magnificent setting. A weekend you won't want to miss. Next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday on Home Box Office. Searching for the elusive blackbird of happiness on Home Box Office. Discover the haunts and habitats of our four-legged friends on an African safari to the heart of their... You're watching premium subscription television, Home Box Office. the conclusion of Holiday Inn.
are killed in a loop construction accident and there's a breakthrough in the deep tunnel project. The Chicago City Council okays Mayor Burns' record city budget and a northwest suburban man turned hero is rewarded. And tonight around the Chicago area the skies are clear but the temperatures are frigid. There are some clouds on the way for the weekend though but no big snows until perhaps sometime next week. We'll have details on the weather on the nine o'clock news coming up. These stories and more all coming up on the 9 o'clock news. Before Superman, before Rambo, before Pee Wee Herman, there was the wizard of speed and time. An eccentric genius who created a motion picture legend in his own garage. Based upon the true life adventures of the world's most unknown filmmaker and blown up out of all proportion, this is the classic story of the little guy going up against the system, fighting corrupt and evil movie producers, overcoming unbelievable and ridiculous odds, all to win the heart of the girl he loves and maybe the rest of her as well. Made on the same film stock as Roger Rabbit and Star Wars. Filmed around the world in a special process that is technically unexplainable. You'll see electrifying special effects, laugh at mind-numbingly stupid jokes, and gasp in awe that we actually got big-name stars to be in this. You'll see dancing, romancing, financing, fencing, crowd scenes, chase scenes. This is the motion picture with everything. It's even got the kitchen sink. It's the kind of movie you would make if you didn't have anything better to do. Five years in the making, five days in the theaters. So see it while you can and tell your friends You've got to be off to see The Wizard! Speeding to a theater near you! Maybe even this one.
exciting now. David's guests, comedian Steve Martin, evangelist Ruth Carter Stapleton, Rich Hall, and Small Town News. And now, a man who thinks yodelers should have their own museum, David Letterman! premonition before I came out here. Do we have any national bank examiners in the audience? <laughs> Welcome to the show. Today is Tuesday, September 30th. September 30th. Wow. That pretty well does it for September, doesn't it? We now go into October. Okay, thank you. Um, before we begin the show, and what a show we have assembled for you folks this morning, and I'm not kidding today. Um... <laughs> I just, I like to tell you my side of the story. I guess by now you've read about what happened last night. And uh, in, in my defense, I still haven't acclimated between coming from Los Angeles and moving to New York. Kind of culture shock, see? Um, the laws are a little different. In California, it is legal to get real drunk and shoot out streetlights with a three fifty seven. It's legal there. So, uh, you know, what am I, a lawyer? <laughs> Uh, Steve Martin is here. He'll be coming out in a couple of minutes. Uh... 
has a, a special that will be on NBC tonight, and I have seen portions of it, and it's a very, very funny show, and what else can you say about him? But he'll be here, and I'm grateful that he is. Also, Evangelist and First Sister. Is that, is that a correct title? The First Sister? <laughs> sister, uh, Ruth Carter Stapleton, from the airport of the same name, will be here. Ruth Carter Stapleton. Also, uh, our very own staff member, Rich Hall, with a gardening hint, will be here. Frank Owens in the Symphony Orchestra. And uh, with any luck at all, we may have another spellbinding episode of... Coffee Cup Theater. Today is uh, Tuesday, and if you've ever seen the show before, you know that on Tuesday we check the small town news. Items of news from smaller newspapers from smaller towns all over the United States. Uh, this one, this will give you an idea of what we're talking about. This is from Today's Sunbeam. It's the name of the paper. Right away, you know it's a no-holds-barred and a hard-hitting investigative newspaper. This is from Salem County, New Jersey. Clearing the record. From time to time, they'll have little uh, corrections for the record in there. there it, is. Uh, it was incorrectly stated in Monday's issue of Today's Sunbeam that Louise Kelly of Salem and Jack Messer of Pennsville had recently returned from a vacation in North Carolina. Information supplied to Today's Sunbeam was published in good faith, but turned out to be erroneous. That is so annoying when they tell you that you're back from vacation and you're not. It's, uh... this, is, this is a service called Sound Off. They have these in, in a lot of papers where uh, just sampling of uh, readers' views and opinions. This comes from the Press and Journal, Hanover, Pennsylvania. Again, pretty hard stuff here. I went to Fantasyland, and that's one of the greatest places. You can ride as many rides as you want, and the monorail is so exciting. I mean, it took my breath away. It was so high, and the little hippos that jump out at you when you're riding those little boats is so fun. Go there. It's more exciting than Disneyland. I'm sorry if some of this shocks you. Um... It's a little service. You can say anything you want. Down here, the final uh, entry... Grape juice. Grape juice. I love grape juice. <laughs> it's important to get that kind of stuff off your chest or it's just going to fester and make you nasty. This comes from the uh, so, uh, Palm Beach County's largest newspaper, the uh, weekday. And uh, this is the police blotter. You talk about crime. <laughs> a caller reported seeing some men pulling a shark from a canal or putting a shark into the canal near Gardenia. The officer said the shark had been removed from the area. <laughs> See, one of those is illegal. Uh, one of them is perfectly legal, but I'm not sure. Now we have the... Uh, this is Joan uh, Eriki. Forgive me if I've goofed up your name, Joan. She is the pork queen. <laughs> comes from... Stop that. I don't, I don't know where this is from. Oh, uh, uh, Davenport West High School. There's no identification here. Uh, the Porkettes held this meeting. Also announced at the event were winners of the Porkettes Lard Baking Contest. Oh, you can't beat the smell of fresh lard roasting in the oven. Here, here's kind of a uh, here's kind of a nutritional breakthrough. This is from the uh, Hartsville, from Hartsville, South Carolina, the Hartsville Messenger. 
And take a look at this. This will probably stun a lot of you. Don't omit foods from diet. <laughs> yes, sir. Think twice about that, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, well, we have just a second here. We want to call um, Floyd Stiles. Now, you may not remember Floyd Stiles. We phoned him a couple of weeks ago, and it was reported here in their newspaper that we had invited Floyd to come to New York, all expenses paid. <laughs> Guess again, Floyd. But since, uh, since it was in the newspaper there in Collins, Missouri, and since Floyd was such a great guy, we're going to invite him to come to New York City, and we're going to have Floyd Stiles Day here on the David Letterman Show. See if Floyd can make it. Collins, Missouri. Anyone ever been to Collins, Missouri? Once. Once. Anybody know what the area code in Collins would be? 417. Floyd Stiles, his wife is Zola Mae Stiles. Hello. He hello. How are you? Uh, Floyd, this is David Letterman. I can't hear out of the phone here. I'm sorry, Floyd. Uh, can you speak up just a little bit? Okay. Oh, there, that's great. Floyd, listen, we'd, we'd like for you to come to New York City. Can you do that? Oh, boy, I'm ready to go. Okay. <laughs> I, I know you got a real crowded schedule, but if you could fit it in, Floyd. Uh, when would be convenient for you to come? How about Friday, October 10th? Anytime. Okay, fine. Uh, we'll be getting to you for all the arrangements. What would you like to do while you're in New York City, Floyd? Oh, I don't really know. I've never been there, but I want to look it over. <laughs> okay, Floyd, uh, it'll be here, and you can look all you want. Uh, We'll be calling you in the next day to set this up. Thank you very much, Floyd. Thank you, David. How's Zola? Oh, she's fine. Are you going to bring her? Oh, I guess I'll have to. Thank you very much, Floyd. We'll talk to you. Floyd Stiles, ladies and gentlemen. Steve Martin will be here. Right after this.